You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. So, hello everyone, my name's Hetel. I'm part of the team here at Manchester Vineyard, and I oversee Alpha and our discipleship year, which is called 4-1. So lovely to have you with us. Um, there were some technical difficulties on Sunday, so the talk that I did then wasn't recorded. So I'm just recording it here at home for those of you that weren't able to make it. So today we're going to be taking a break from our series on the Outward Focus Church. And instead, I'm going to be doing a standalone talk on the topic of Jesus. Very imaginative topic choice, I hear you say. But in particular, we're going to be focusing on the risen and ascended Jesus. As Christians, I find that we often think about Jesus's life. So what he did here on earth, his miracles, his teachings, his encounters with people and so on. And then, of course, we think about his death and resurrection, how he died in an unimaginable way on the cross and rose after three days, making a way for us to be with the Father. But how often do we think about what happened after that? We know that Jesus is alive and well today. We may reflect on the fact that he is with us. He has given us his spirit and his spirit is in us. And we may recall that Jesus is God and therefore he is omnipresent. In a way, he is everywhere. But Jesus is fully God and fully human, which means he has a body. And as a result, his body has to be somewhere. The Bible tells us that Jesus, in his bodily form, has ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then how often do we think about what he is doing right now? We know that Jesus did the most significant work for us on the cross. Some of his last words were, it is finished. But does that mean he's doing nothing right now? Because the thing is, how we picture Jesus right now has repercussions on our lives. The way we see Jesus now can have a huge impact on our faith and as a result, a huge impact on how we live today. For instance, do we picture Jesus retired in the heavenly realm with his feet up, sipping margaritas and taking long long bubble baths? Or, you know, perhaps he's just hanging out with the father, watching Netflix and cheering on his favourite footy team on Sky Sports. And of course, I know that's ridiculous and not a particularly reverent image. That's clearly not what Jesus is doing. But hear my point. If we don't really know or think about where Jesus is and what he is doing today, whether we realise it or not, it will have a big impact on our faith, our perspective of this world and as a result, our lives today. The risen and ascended Jesus is an image or a thought I've been reflecting on over the past year or so, particularly through the COVID pandemic. It's a thought that has steadied me, held me through the lows of the past two years and enabled me to keep on keeping on, to persevere through it all. And it's a thought that I've kept coming back to as life continues in its chaotic and unpredictable way. So my hope and my prayer for you guys today is that as we explore this topic together, it will have a positive impact on your daily lives by enlarging your faith, your trust and your hope in Jesus, enabling you to persevere through all that life has for you. So to help us explore the risen and ascended Jesus this this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is made up of many books and Revelation is the last one. I actually distinctly remember my first reading of Revelation. I first read it as a very new Christian, so this was about seven years ago. I managed to get through it in a couple of sittings, and I remember being in awe of it. It really excited me. I thought it was really cool and spectacular. 
and my Christian friends at the time were really encouraging. They thought it was great, I was enjoying reading Revelation, but they were also a bit bewildered. It's as if they were thinking, does she actually understand anything that she's reading? And it turns out I didn't. I read it, ago, I read it again a year or so into being a Christian and with the visions about Jesus, yes, but also the dragons, the beasts, the elders, the scrolls and the trumpets and so on. And I remember thinking to myself, did I actually read this the first time round? How did I read this and not think about all of these visions twice? And of course, since then, I've read it a few more times. And with the extra time I had in lockdown, I got a chance to slow down and read it in a little bit more detail. But don't worry, I did other stuff in lockdown too. I learned how to bake gluten-free, which was a really great investment given I can't eat gluten. And I got into walking three laps around our local park every day, living the dream. But honestly, I found getting into this book so enriching and powerful for my faith. The imagery in it is quite a lot to take in, but is now one of my favourite books and one that continues to have a big impact on my daily life. So I'm going to spend some time introducing the book of Revelation. We're going to look at what Revelation means, its context, who wrote it, what type of literature it is and why it was written, as all of this is going to help us explore the picture of Jesus in it. So the book is called Revelation or Apocalypsis, if you read it in the language the text was originally written in. It's where we get the word apocalypse from, which unfortunately for us in English has developed connotations that are unhelpful for us understanding the book. In everyday English, when we think of the word apocalypse, we think of a doomsday sort of catastrophic end of the world event. But the word apocalypsis originally means a revealing or an uncovering something that has been hidden. So it's like you've pulled back the curtains and you're now able to see something that you've not been able to see before. So think of it like this. You watch a movie on a DVD and you see a story play out. And then after you watch it, you realise the DVD has the behind the scenes footage as one of its additional features. The behind the scenes footage allows you to see things from perspectives that you weren't aware of before. The directors, the writers, the producers, the actors off screen. All of these people have impacted the movie in big ways, but you just didn't have access to see them. They're all having an effect on the film, influencing and impacting the way the story plays out. In Revelation, what we're seeing is the behind the scenes of the universe. It's like God has opened the curtains and you can see straight into the heavenly realms. We're seeing how God, Jesus, spiritual beings, both good and evil, are impacting the way the story of the universe and humanity unfolds. Just like the behind the scenes footage in the film, Revelation gives us a deeper insight and understanding into why things are the way they are today. We can use what has been revealed to us, the behind the scenes knowledge, to help us understand life, its events and its ups and downs. So that's the meaning of Revelation. It's an uncovering or revealing. Next, we're going to read the first four verses of Revelation as we find that it will help us introduce the book, the book a little bit further. So we're in Revelation 1, 1 to 4. If you have a Bible, paper or on your phone, recommend you following along with me. So this is Revelation 1, 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse 4. 
John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. And then it goes on. So I'm just going to pick out a few points. Obviously, I can't cover it all, but here are a few things that are going to help us today unpack this picture of Jesus. So verse one, the revelation from Jesus Christ. So as I said, there's been an uncovering or revealing of something that was previously hidden. We now have insight from Jesus into the heavenly realms. And then reading on in verse one and two, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we learn here that John himself has received this revelation. And if you've read it, you'll know that John receives a series of visions, which he writes down. And if you don't know, John is one of the earliest disciples of Jesus. He wrote one of the gospel accounts, he planted some churches, and he continued to be a witness to Jesus and his word through his whole lifetime. Moving on to verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Blessed, happy or fortunate are those who hear the book of Revelation and take to heart what is written. Taking something to heart means that not only do we hear it, but we mull over it, we ingest it, we let it impact our perspective and our day to day. That's my prayer for you guys today, that even just a snippet of this talk will impact your heart and as a result, your faith and trust in Jesus. And then finally, verse four, greetings to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. So some of you guys will be familiar with that phrasing. Here we see that Revelation is also written as a letter, which is interesting, actually really important if we're going to read and apply this book well. When the book of Revelation was written, it was written as a letter to seven churches in Asia, seven actual real life churches like ours today, and they were the recipients of this letter. And the basics of letter writing is probably lost on some of us today. I realised as I was writing this that I don't actually think I've ever written a letter unless GCSE English counts. But very simply, a letter has a writer and an audience or a receiver, and usually they're written for a purpose. There may be a point the writer wants to make, or perhaps there's an occasion, an event or a circumstance that has led the author to put pen to paper. So that begs the question, why did John write this letter? What was the context or the occasion that motivated him to write? And we find the answer to this in the first couple of chapters of the book. So firstly, take Revelation 1, 9. This is John speaking to the seven churches and he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then we'll just look at a few more verses. So after John introduces himself as a writer of the letter, he goes on to address each of the seven churches individually. And here are just a few snippets of what he says. So to the church in Ephesus, he writes, Revelation 2, 3. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. To the church in Smyrna, he writes in Revelation 2.9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. And then to the church in Pergamum, he writes in 2.13, I know where you live, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. So you might have got it, but actually, if you draw all of those verses together, we can see the context or occasion of this letter is one of immense suffering. We read that John was on the island of Patmos and scholars believe that he was in exile there after facing persecution under the Roman Emperor Domitian for preaching the gospel. 
And it seems that the churches at the time were suffering too, facing persecution and afflictions, even death. So Revelation was written to a suffering church battling to persevere amidst all of their suffering. And you might be thinking, that's pretty rubbish for them, but what difference does that make to me today? Well, as I said, John is writing this letter to seven churches in Asia. But if you read through Revelation, you'll see that John's use of numbers is often symbolic. They mean or they represent something. So for John, the number seven is used to give an idea of completion. So the use of seven here is to give us the impression that John is writing to the complete number of churches, i.e. he's writing to all churches of all times and places. So whilst John is writing his letter to those seven churches, he has a wider audience in mind. All churches, all times, all places. Which means he is writing to us, our church, Manchester Vineyard, today, October 2021. So as we read Revelation, we can apply it to us today as we suffer. Because let's face it, we all suffer. As I said before I started reading Revelation in the context of the pandemic, for many of us, lockdown and COVID have been and continue to be a challenging time. And even if we ignore the pandemic, the everyday challenges of life have continued. Sickness, broken relationships, struggles with sin, financial worries, loneliness and so on. So Revelation is a book for us today. And then lastly, last bit of the introduction, let's think about this. What does John tell the churches to do in the face of immense suffering? And then as a result, what is John telling our church today to do in the face of suffering as well? And the answer is to persevere, to keep on going. So in Revelation 1 verse 9, John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. So John calls himself in a, a companion in suffering. Yes, but also a companion in patient endurance. He's writing to the churches of the time and to churches like ours today that have been through and are in a time of hardship and encouraging them to patiently endure suffering just like he did. So that's all of our intro done, well done. But just to summarise, Revelation is an uncovering or revealing of reality that was previously hidden. It's a letter written to encourage us to persevere in a time of suffering. And this leads us really nicely onto the question and the main bulk of our time today. How does John encourage the seven churches to persevere in suffering? And given what we now know, how is John trying to encourage us as a church today as we endure suffering? And it's every, everyone's favourite Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. So we're back to the person of Jesus. John starts with a picture of Jesus to a suffering church back in the first century all the way to a suffering church right here today, John encourages us with a picture of Jesus. This is the first vision he has and this is what he's told to write down. And as I said before, revelation means uncovering or revealing something hidden. The first thing that is revealed, the first thing that John sees as God draws back the curtains of the universe to uncover what is actually going on, is Jesus fully alive and well, risen and ascended. Jesus in the heavenly realms. And what is Jesus doing? Well, unsurprisingly, there's no bubble bath or Netflix in sight. Instead, Jesus is depicted as a majestic, sovereign king, ruling over the universe. A risen, ruling and victorious king. This is what is revealed to encourage a suffering John and a suffering church, including our church today. 
So we're going to spend some time unpacking John's vision of the risen and ascended Jesus, and then we'll see what implications we can draw from it. So let's have a read and see what John sees. So it's Revelation 1 verse 10 to the end. I'm going to read it straight through and then we'll read it a second time and I'll stop to explain a few things. Okay. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive for ever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands, is this. The seven stars are the angels, or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, you can see that John has to utilise some amazing imagery to describe Jesus. The risen and ascended Jesus is so majestic, so glorious, so awesome. It's like nothing he'd ever seen before. So we're just going to go through the passage a little bit slower and I'm going to draw out just a few things for us. So Revelation 1 verse 10 onwards. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. So this is John's way of introducing his vision to the readers. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. So John is being directed to write down his vision of Jesus to the seven churches and hence to us. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And we learn in verse 20 that those seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. In verse 13, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. So son of man is another term for Jesus, Jesus used by one of the prophets, Daniel, in the Old Testament. This means that Jesus is among the lampstands. Jesus is among the churches. Jesus hasn't retired and left us to our own devices, but Jesus is with us today. In our highs and lows, our pains and sufferings as a community, the encouragement is, is that Jesus is among us. In verse 13, the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And this is just a huge picture of royalty. royalty. It's just imagery of royalty. Only people with authority and great dignity would be able to wear robes right down to their feet. Verse 14, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. So the white hair suggests purity and wisdom. The eyes of blazing fire suggest that Jesus is able to see and discern all things. And his voice being like the sound of ocean shows his majesty and his authority. 
verse 16. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So here Jesus is depicted as holding the messengers of the seven churches in his hands. It's an image of his care and intimacy with each church. And since seven carries the connotation of completion, you could say he's got the whole church in his hands. And then out of his mouth was this sharp double-edged sword. And the double-edged sword is a metaphor that's used in the New Testament to describe the word of God. So this is the weapon that Jesus uses to advance his kingdom in the world. And the word is sharp, it pierces, it penetrates deep into our lives. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So look what Jesus says to John. He comforts him with his right hand and says to him, do not be afraid. And why are they not to be afraid? Because Jesus is alive. He has been and will be for all eternity. And he is the one who has the ultimate authority and ultimate sovereignty. And it's depicted by the fact that he is the one that has the keys to life and death. He is the ultimate ruler and king. So this picture of Jesus is quite something. Everything in this vision speaks of his authority, his majesty, his royalty, his strength and his righteousness. He is alive and he's with us, leading and guiding his church, ruling in glory and honour and majesty. I wonder how often we think of Jesus this way. As I said before, when we think of Jesus, we often think of the way he was. There's Jesus of Nazareth teaching in Galilee or, or Jesus on the cross. But here in Revelation, we get some of the lengthiest descriptions of Jesus and actually one of the few descriptions of his physical appearance. John is seeing Jesus as he is, and this is the Jesus that God wanted to reveal or uncover to us, to encourage us as we face the highs and lows of life today. The risen and ascended Jesus is a Jesus that God wanted us to know, to hold on to, to meditate over, to help us persevere through the suffering that life brings. And it makes sense, doesn't it? When we go through difficult times, we can find ourselves asking, is Jesus real? Is he with me? Does he care? Does he have the power to impact my life today? And Revelation gives us the answer to all of those questions. Jesus is real, he is alive and he is with us. He cares, he's holding his church in his hand and he's guiding us. He's powerful, he's reigning in the heavenlies right now after rising from the dead. And with this description of Jesus in Revelation 1, John is encouraging us that Jesus is in a position of power and authority, actively ruling and reigning over creation. Jesus is on his throne, ruling with power. He's been depicted as a king. And it's an amazing image. But some of you might be starting to think something along the lines of, it's all well and good that Jesus is alive, risen, ascended, and ruling and reigning in the heavenlies. But I just don't see that in this situation I'm going through, or in this particular time in history, or in this place or this moment. I can see this picture of Jesus reigning, but I can't see the reality of that right now in my life. And you know what? I'm with you in that. I work part-time as a junior doctor. I'm currently based on the care of the elderly ward at Withenshire Hospital. And it's a challenging job. Almost every day I find myself crying out in my spirit, where are you, Jesus? Every day I do my ward round, I go round and see my patients and I'm faced again and again with sickness, 
disease, dementia, decline, pain, suffering, and oh, yeah, sadly, a lot of death. In Romans 8, Paul describes the whole of creation, including humanity, groaning as they await the new creation, the end of sickness, the end of decay and death. And to be honest, that's the best way I can describe my experience. My body and my spirit, they groan and they ache as I work. Internally, I'm crying out to God. It's not meant to be like this. I wonder what it is for you. Where do you long for the rule and reign of Jesus in your life? Maybe it's your own health or the health of loved ones. Maybe it's a sin in your life, a particular thing that you've battled with over the years and that you want freedom from. It might be broken relationships, families or friendships. Maybe it's COVID and all the chaos and suffering that it's brought, the lockdown, the loneliness, the disrupted education, the, the missed opportunities. Perhaps it's the injustice you see in your neighbourhood, the poverty in Manchester or the homeless person in the street. The reality is, is that the picture of Jesus ruling and reigning in the heavenlies today doesn't match up with a lot of our circumstances. We know that Jesus was victorious on the cross. He beat death and his enemies and he was raised to life. But his enemies, death, evil and Satan, are seemingly still reigning freely today. And the reason this is because we're in the in-between times, or the now and the not yet of the kingdom. This is the time between Jesus' first coming here on earth, his death, his resurrection and his, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And his second coming, when Jesus will return to the earth and finally and completely put his enemies under his feet. Jesus has won the decisive battle on the cross against his enemy. He beat the power of evil, death and Satan. But these enemies will only be finally destroyed once and for all at his second coming. So Paul, one of our church leaders, described it recently in his talk by the illustration of VE Day and D-Day. So although VE Day, the victory of the Nazis, was not until May the 8th, 1945, many historians have noted that victory in Europe was assured on June the 6th, 1944, D-Day. On that day, around 200,000 soldiers crossed the English Channel to start a devastating attack on the Nazis. And after reviewing the success in battle on D-Day, historians now know that it was only a matter of time before the Allies would be victorious. It's not a matter of if the Allies would be victorious, but when the Allies would win. Yet in between those two dates, June 1944 and May 1945, a fierce battle was going on. The Allies were fighting their enemies in the trenches, enduring the harsh realities of conflict and facing some really bad days. The enemy was still active. The result of the war was known, but the war continued. And it's a bit like that for Christians today. We're in those in-between times. We know that the battle has won, but the war hasn't actually ended. It will only end with Jesus' return. So we still see sickness, death, decay and evil around us today. And sometimes it can feel like it's the only thing we see. But when Jesus died, rose and ascended, the kingdom of God did begin here on earth. It may not be prevalent everywhere, but it is present. And as we've seen in Revelation, Jesus is alive and well, ruling and reigning in the heavenlies over his kingdom. And if I look closely, I can see evidence of God's kingdom here too. Evidence that shows that Jesus is in fact ruling and reigning in my life and in parts of my environment. So the other week at work, I was looking after this elderly gentleman in his 80s and 90s, and I'm going to call him Arthur. 
Arthur was ready to be discharged from hospital, but unfortunately he had a massive bleed in his stomach overnight. So I went to review him in the morning. Due to his bleed, he was quite muddled. He just kept asking if he could speak to his wife. And we needed to do an endoscopy. So it's where you put a long thing tube down someone's mouth into the stomach with a camera. You have a look and you can try and stop the bleed. But due to Arthur's confusion, I wasn't able to get valid consent from him. He didn't really know what was going on, didn't really appreciate the procedure. So I had to call his wife, his next of kin, for consent, as we needed to do this scope pretty urgently. So I called his wife, let's call her Edith, and initially she didn't pick up the phone. So I tried again and again, and eventually she picked up, completely out of breath, panting and puffing away. She'd apparently just been to the shops and heard the phone ringing and ran or moved as quickly as she could to the phone to hear news of Arthur. After she caught her breath, I explained what had happened to him and the procedure that we wanted to do. And her response was something along the lines of, please do everything you can. I've been with my husband for over 50 years. We do everything together. We love each other so much. He's my best friend. I would do anything for him. And it went on like that. And after we agreed he would have the scope, Edith went on to say, please, can I speak to Arthur? Can you put him on the phone? I just want to hear his voice. Just like, let, please let me speak to him. And it was a busy morning for me. I could have said that I would do it later after my ward round, but I could tell from her voice that it was clearly and obviously really important to her. So I used Arthur's bedside hospital phone to call his wife. I held the phone to Arthur's ear. He was a bit muddled and not really sure how to hold it. And I let them speak to each other. And I was trying to give them a bit of privacy, but it's a really hard thing to do when you're actually holding a phone to someone's ear. So I basically overheard most of their conversation. And they basically just spent three minutes just telling each other how much they loved each other, how much they missed each other, over and over again, expressing their love and their care for each other. After Arthur stopped speaking, I spoke to Edith briefly just to check that she was okay. And she was so thankful to just be able to speak to her husband. She thanked me again and again and again and ended the conversation with, God bless you. Thank you so much. It turns out that they knew and loved Jesus. And I remember sitting down after that conversation and just taking a moment to myself. I'd never seen a love so strong, so sweet, so tender before. A love that had grown, matured and deepened over the years of marriage. And as Christians, we know that marriage is a means to an end. It's a gift, but the ultimate goal and purpose of marriage is to reflect something greater, the love between Jesus and his church. And just for a moment through that elderly couple, I glimpsed at the depth and intensity of Jesus' love for us, his church. It's a really simple story, but in that moment, I believe I saw the kingdom of God manifest in an otherwise bleak and painful circumstance. God is love. His kingdom is full of it. And witnessing the love between that couple made me realise that God was indeed there. Jesus was on his throne, ruling and reigning in that couple's life. I wonder if you've seen the evidence of Jesus' rule and reign in your life recently. Maybe you've reconciled with a friend or a family member. Maybe someone's been healed from a physical illness. Maybe you've seen someone's needs met or the lonely welcomed into the family. Maybe it's something else. Often our lives are a mixture of both the good and the bad. The situation or circumstance we find ourselves in is not usually fully good or fully bad. There's pain, there's suffering and sadness, but there's also God's kingdom, his reign and rule evident there too. Jesus is on his throne. And that's the tension of the in-between times or the now and the not yet of the kingdom. 
We know that Jesus has started ruling and reigning over creation, as we've seen in the Bible today. We know that his kingdom is advancing as more people come to know him, as justice prevails, as the poor and needy are careful, cared for, as people are healed and his creation is restored. Jesus' rule and reign is manifesting here on earth today. The picture of Jesus ruling over creation in Revelation that God has revealed to us is happening today. But we also know that his rule and reign, his kingdom, isn't fully present here on earth yet. It's not here in its entirety. So there's a tension. A tension we all experience. We all have areas of our lives where we long for Jesus' loving, just and peaceful rule to be evident. So just to summarise that last bit, we've had a look at this incredible image of, the, of Jesus ruling and reigning, reigning in Revelation and how this is the image that God wanted to reveal to his suffering church. We've talked about how we're in the in-between times, the now and the not yet of the kingdom, where Jesus' reign has started, but it's not fully here. And we've looked at some examples of what that might look like today, what it might look like for Jesus' reign to be here in part, but not here in fullness. So finally, why is this helpful? Why am I sharing this? What do I want us, the church, today to get from this? Well, as I said at the start, the image of Jesus in Revelation is something I've been reflecting on during the pandemic, and it's held and carried me since then. Covid has been a difficult time for many of us. And of course, there are other challenges in life, health, finances, relationships. You can fill in the blank yourself. John and ultimately Jesus have revealed to us in the book of Revelation that Jesus is alive and well, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father. This image or picture of Jesus is what God wanted to reveal or uncover to his suffering church, his suffering church back in the first century and his suffering church today. So we need to broaden how we think of Jesus. We're not just to think of Jesus who taught and lived in first century Palestine, not just the Jesus who died and was resurrected, but Jesus who ascended and is now reigning in the heavenly realms. And we need to hold on to this image. We need to savour it and dwell on it. And as we wait in the in-between times, we can use this image of Jesus and our knowledge of the Bible to help us interpret and inform the circumstances around us. Yes, there is still suffering, pain, pandemics, injustices, inequality and death in our lives. But we know that Jesus is with us, he is among us, and he's holding us, the church, in his hand. And not only that, but all of our pain and suffering is only temporary. This is not to take away from the pain we're experiencing now, not at all. But it is to say that it will not last. Through books like Revelation, we can live with the complete assurance that Jesus is infinitely more powerful than anything of this world. He is stronger than our struggles, our anxieties, our fears, our sin, our guilt, our shame, our stresses that hold on to us. We can have confidence that Jesus, who has won the decisive battle against evil, sin and death, and is living to tell the tale at the right hand of the Father, has the power to carry out all he has planned to do. He will fulfil all his promises to us. So we can look forward to the day when everything is restored, everything is the way it's meant to be. A time where the kingdom is here fully on earth, a new creation with no more pain, no suffering, no death. A day when our bodies and our spirit will not cry out, Jesus, where are you? Where is your rule and reign? But sing in praise to God for his kingdom will be here fully on earth at last. And all of this helps us persevere in the here and now. It fills us afresh with trust and hope and joy in Jesus so we can journey well through the ups and the downs. But importantly, even though that we, 
we know that Jesus will return and bring the fullness of his kingdom, his reign and rule. We do not just sit around and wait for that to happen. In the Lord's Prayer, you may be familiar with the line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come. We are to pray, to petition and intercede for ourselves and the nations that Jesus' rule that we see in the heavenly realms and relation increasingly manifests itself here on earth. That his kingdom of love, justice and peace is seen here on earth more fully. But prayer isn't the only thing we do. The amazing thing is that Jesus has chosen to partner with us, with his church, to continue his work here on earth. Through each of us individually and us collectively as a church, Jesus advances his kingdom in our homes, our workplaces, our neighbourhoods and our city. It's the mindset that fuels our vision as a church to be an outward focused church. We long for his kingdom to come here. We know it has started. We know that through the power of Jesus and his spirit, it can and it will continue to break through on earth today. So we follow Jesus's footsteps and we share the gospel so more people can enter the kingdom. We care for the environment. We fight for justice. We care for the poor and needy. We create and design things with beauty. We restore our city. We continue to hold the tension, not erring towards fatalism, thinking the world is doomed and will never get better until Jesus comes, and not falling into the opposite danger of being over-triumphant, expecting that all poverty, pain and injustice will disappear overnight because of our next big idea. So we hold on to this image of the risen, ascended and ruling Jesus. We use it to inform our circumstances and fill us afresh with trust and hope in him so we can persevere to the end. For all of this, whilst we pray and partner with Jesus to bring his kingdom here on the earth in all areas of our lives, contending for the kingdom to manifest to a greater degree today. So to end, I just wanna repeat the verse that we read at the beginning of Revelation. So it's Revelation 1 verse three. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written, because the time is near. Jesus is alive and reigning. The time of his return when his kingdom will come in fullness is near. I pray that we can take this to heart, as this is the key to our perseverance. So I just want to pray for us. Father, we thank you. Um, thank you for everything that you've done for us. We thank you that you, Jesus, have died and raised and that you've ascended to be at the right hand of the Father and you're ruling and reigning over your kingdom. Thank you that that is an image that you have revealed to us for us to hold on to throughout life, for us to digest and to, to yeah, to have in ourselves. And Lord, I pray that that's what you'll do for us as a church. Will our eyes be focused on you, Jesus? And I pray, Lord, that you will equip us, inspire us, fill us with your spirit um, to partner with you to bring the kingdom today. Lord, will we see big things, big things happen in our lives, in our cities, in our workplaces, where your kingdom just breaks through here on earth. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Hope you have a lovely rest of the day. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.